Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Back to still watching WandaVision. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. If you're just joining us for the first time on still watching what Richard and I have been doing for the last couple years uh, at this point, actually, uh, is picking, you know, one show at a time that we're kind of preoccupied with and breaking it down week to week on a, on a sort of granular level. We've, we've done a bunch of different kinds of shows, uh, before, but this is like probably our geekiest endeavor, uh, as we, as we round the corner on the end of WandaVision and like full blown infinity stones and witches and everything come into play. Uh, we are talking this week about episode eight previously on, uh, is the title of the episode. Uh, it is a flashback episode. And yeah, so Richard and I are going to be digging into that, seeing how we feel about it, reading some emails. Um, and then in the back half of the show, I will be joined by our other Vanity Fair colleague, Anthony Bresnikin to get a little, like a little deeper on some of the niche or comic book stuff. And also, um, I think in doing so, take a look at the possible like shockwaves and ramifications of what we learned in this episode for like the future of the MCU. So, uh, Richard, let us, maybe let's start with some emails. Folks can always email us, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. I love all of your emails. We got an incredible Al Pacino impression this week. I don't know, that I may or may not include uh, in, in, in this episode for you to hear. Uh, it made my day. I love all of your theories. I love everything. Uh, so please send them, even though we only have one more episode to go, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Uh, Richard, what, what emails do you want to look at this week? Well, first off, I mean, I feel like I am the most powerful witch in the universe that I can summon just celebrity impressions <laughs> just by asking for them on this podcast. I mean, that's, uh, I, I feel <laughs> drunk with power. Um, so thank you for, uh, for that. Um, so the first email I thought was kind of a fun, uh, sort of supposition. Um, this is from Ross in Melbourne, Australia. Um, he says, love the show. Listen while I'm meant to be looking out for my kids. Only one ear plug in, so it's all good. Half-assed parenting is better than no parenting. Uh, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> so, uh, Ross goes on to say, to ask, um, so is the actor that Paul Bettany has been promising that he's always wanted to work with, etc., been himself all along? Bettany versus Bettany. If that's true, then it's excellent trolling and pretty funny from him, but I still would have preferred Al Pacino as Mephisto. So... <laughs> 
I think what Ross is referring yeah. to is that like we see this other vision, whatever that is, open its eyes at the yeah. end of the episode. Um, and so maybe, yeah, maybe Bettany was like kind of being a bit cheeky, uh, in suggesting that his most desired, um, screen partner is himself. We're going to talk about how high I am on the Al Pacino Mephisto nightmare question, uh, in our next email. So I will leave that for that and just say right now that, um, I, it would be hilarious um, I think that is what a lot of people think is going on now. Um, it would be so, I would, I would laugh honestly all day and I would not regret a single second I spent trying to figure out what he meant by it. Um, I think that would be hilarious. I don't think that's the kind of, uh, person Paul Bettany is to, my guess is that there's still someone coming, whether or not it's a Pacino level Mephisto thing or something else, um, we can discuss, but, um, but it would be funny. I, 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 and that's the thing, like, that's the thing I want to say about, like, um, theorizing. Um, I used to get stressed when my theories didn't pan out and I felt like foolish for guessing at them. And I just don't feel that way anymore. I think it's just fun to guess and think and suppose. And if you're wrong, you're wrong and who cares, you know? And if you're right, that's, uh, you know, cherry on top. So, so there you go. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, half the fun is just kind of like, fucking around and wondering you know um i think i was talking last week about like how oftentimes with these shows like uh it is just what they show us you know um and that's fine if that literally turns out to be true but um you know we're all sort of starved for excitement (laughs) and fun a fun kind of debate you know uh, right now, it's, so it's, why not? Uh, it's Wonder um, Vision. We're, we're wondering what's going yeah. on. Um, <laughs> do you want to pause and talk yeah. about the the white figure at the end of the episode, or do you want to do that after the next email? Um, let's okay. do it after the next email because I think we can. They can all sort of tie into like what is the big thing that this mm, show is okay. moving toward, if Perfect. if anything. Um, so Anne uh, writes to us. Uh, Hi, Joanna and Richard. With the reveal of Agatha, Har- Agatha Harkness in the Breaking the Fourth Wall episode, why am I waiting for a big, bad male villain to be revealed? There's all the hints and Easter eggs, but Catherine Hahn as Agnes slash Agatha is super evil. She killed a puppy. Do we need more? I love that Agatha Harkness is more like a soap opera villain than a Thanos. The military tones of the Marvel movies are exhausting. This show resonates with my love of campy mysteries like Riverdale, Lost, etc. So I, I think that's an interesting question, not only for the uh, text of WandaVision, but in a broader sense of like, why are we expecting something else? You know, um, yes, we've been trained in escalation, mm-hmm. like th- by, by this movie series and stuff. Um, and I think the maleness, like f- for sure comes into play. We are not, we, I think the MCU has only had what, like one main female villain. I think Is that right? Kate. Uh, in Ragnarok. Yeah. And like, it was supposed to be Rebecca Hall in right. Iron Man three. Right? right. And that, but they mm-hmm. changed that. There've been like, you know, Proxima midnight. There have been other like bad. I'm obsessed with how many times you talk but... about Proxima midnight in your love for Carrie Coon. I'm just, I love, I love it. Well, she pays me <laughs> per mention. So with that Chicago mm. theater money, <laughs> that Tracy um, Letts money. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Tracy Letts Skrilla. Um, but, um, uh anyway i i i i think maybe it just is agnes yeah um and and i think this episode what it does interestingly is it doesn't make her an outright let me destroy the world 
villain, she's more just kind of like covetous of whatever it is mm-hmm. that Wanda has. And then in the flashbacks comes to realize something profound, which I don't really understand the profundity of, but that she is some sort of figure, the Scarlet Witch, who has been, I don't know, prophesied or something. She's part of lore or something. Um, so I kind of wonder if it's not, this is a series that doesn't really have like a big bad villain, but instead uh, is just about two lonely and in in different ways grieving characters i mean we see agnes kill her mother uh in the beginning of this episode uh basically just trying to wrestle control of um a powerful uh mechanism for expressing grief yeah i suppose like you know when i thought about a different layer and and i really loved that we got this email we got that email well before this week's episode. So, um, you know, sort of right off, uh, hot off the presses after our podcast last week. And, um, I, I appreciated this like call out of like, why am I, why am I looking constantly for like this shadowy male figure controlling everything? Um, is that some sort of internalized massaging or whatever? Um, I, I think there are a couple ways this could have played out to satisfy me. Um, it could have happened that if there were if there were or still is another layer it's more interesting to me to as you say think of these two women as women who have shared a trauma or women who have you know both been manipulated or women you know and and them bonding together uh in that um something about that appeals to me but once again, maybe that's maybe that's me being unwilling to just like enjoy uh, an out and out female villain. That being said, I think Jack Schaefer, you know, who wrote who wrote this um, whole series or you know oversaw the writing of the whole series, um, has always been interested in villains who are much more complicated. And you know, and and the Marvel universe, to its credit, um, has been moving closer to that. I think I think they did a good job with Thanos. Um, for all that, you know, he wanted to snap half the world's population. There was some, you know, some slight empathy for him in, in his misguided view as to why that's what he should be doing. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a little Mm -hmm. bit more complicated than just like the mad Titan snapping his fingers. So like, I think I, I love how you described it. This idea of these two lonely women, um, sort of traumatized by this extreme power that they don't necessarily know, um, how to handle and, and, and not having Agatha be just, just a scheming, cackling witch, but, but someone, you know, this, this, that opening sequence with a CGI de-aged, uh, Catherine Hahn, unnecessary. She looks amazing now. Um, I didn't even notice that it was. I mean, I I was just like it was yeah, slight. It was it was a it was yeah, you know yeah. just a little just a little smear of Vaseline CGI Vaseline on the lens. But um, yeah, that trauma of killing your mother, of being like I can be good, and your mom saying no, you can't. I mean, that's that's some good stuff. It's it's it was sort of quick in the context of the show, but you know, a performer like Catherine Hahn can make a meal out of that, and uh, so yeah, so. I don't know. I, I, I'll be, I'll be interested to see. And I'll be, I think the, the question that comes out of that actually is what do we, how do we want Scarlet Witch or Wanda to land on the other side of this? Cause there's two, there's two options borne out by the, the, uh, the classic Wizard of Oz question. 
are you a good witch or are you a bad witch? Like, does does Wanda come out of this trauma, further traumatized and ready to be the villain of the MCU, the villain of Doctor Strange? Or does she come out of it um, hoping to learn from Stephen Strange some of the stuff that Agatha was sort of talking about in this episode, the more formal uh, study of her powers? Um, yeah. Do you have yeah. a preference or a thought on that, Richard? I don't know. I mean, I, I like the idea of a character whose morality and is is ambivalent. You know, like, like I, you know, I think that we have so many clear heroes and villains in the, this world, this universe, um, that having someone who's a bit more, I guess, self-interested, but like so powerful that they're sort of above the, the sort of like kind of like doctor, what is it? Um, Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen, mm-hmm. like just sort of like has transcended human morality, you know? Um, and, you know, a- Agnes has a line in the episode where she's, she's coaxing or forcing Wanda into these flashbacks. She says the only way forward is back, yeah. you know? And I think I, that made me think of the term, like the only way, out is through that's what i thought she was gonna say i thought she i was i said i kind of said through and then she said back and i was like okay yeah back sure yeah sorry go ahead and so if you think about like so we see agnes like persecuted by her you know you the 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 fun twist of that little opening scene is that you think it's going to be like the people of salem but like burning her because she's a witch but it's actually fellow witches being like you know you've gotten you've gone too far you've gone to the dark side and she doesn't want to hurt these people, but she has to do it to do it to protect herself. And if you've made that choice, why wouldn't you try to like explore the the furthest limits of of your ability, right? And um, similar with Wanda, where she's been, you know, I guess she has these kids now, which complicates things. But she's been stripped of like her loved ones and sort of isolated in this way. And she can't just pretend she doesn't have powers because too many people know she does. She's a global celebrity in some senses. Why wouldn't she just kind of keep going and and escalating and, you know, and, and, and growing and growing and growing. And is that not, um, you know, in, in order to sort of justify the pain, you can't forsake the thing that is sort of accidentally helped cause some of that pain. You have to kind of embrace it and like follow it to its, um, you know, most extreme conclusion, I guess. So I think it would, it's an interesting thing to think about. Like, I don't know where Agnes is going to factor into this story going forward, but like with, with Wanda that, uh, this sort of journey of, uh, self-actualization in, in a way, mm-hmm. uh, where that continues. Cause I could see her sort of not being hero or villain in, in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that the, I think it was the Lopez is, um, uh, Robert and Kristen Lopez, who, who, uh, you know, EGOT winners, uh, composers of Avenue Q and Frozen, et cetera, um, who did all the music for this series, um, said something about in composing the theme for Wanda, you know, like Wanda's theme music will likely go forward. That's how, you know, motifs, uh, work in the MCU. We heard some old, like age of Ultron and Avengers musical motifs in this episode. Um, so Wanda's new motif, the like Wanda vision, like that will probably like go forward in the MCU. And they talked about like how her battle with, with grief and trauma was not 
was not going to be tied up with a bow at the end of this series, nor should it be. I think a lot of people took that to mean that she would be the villain going forward. But I like what you say about that not necessarily being the case. And it's like, she can exist in this um, working on it space. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a, mm-hmm. a space that a lot of us exist in. Um, I want to talk about something. I, I A couple different stories I saw this week um, that sort of uh, presaged this almost therapeutic um, uh, previously on episode, you know, this, this like uh, forced therapy of sorts that um, Agnes Agatha took Wanda on, which is the idea that the, that the show itself is, is um, situated around um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of, of uh, grief which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And if you think of like denial being these early episodes, these like super black and white sitcom moments, anger being coming through, I think in like um, the family ties episode, you know, when you see uh, the fight between uh, vision and Wanda bargaining, perhaps being like her exiting the hex and, and discussing, uh, you know, what's going on with the, with the folks outside the hex. Um, and then depression being, you know, what we saw in like the modern family episode. And then does that mean acceptance? Is this the acceptance episode? Uh, I mean, she, she confronted the reality of, of who vision actually was, who her vision actually was in this episode. Um, is that her all the way to acceptance or, or, almost all the way to acceptance. So like, what do, what do you think of that um, framing of the series as a whole? Yeah, I think, I think it makes sense. You know, um, I, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't graft on a hundred percent, but no. like nothing ever yeah, does, yeah. you know, but I, I think that, yes, if this is a show, I think, you know, in, in the context of the broader cinema, you know, cinematic series and whatever, like, there has not been that this much kind of ample time to sit with a character and like have them deal with the fallout of all this fantastical and violent stuff. You know, um, we've seen some of that in the movies where a character says, I'm, I know I'm, I'm done with this or walks away and then comes back or whatever, you know, but like this is a much more extended version of that. Um, and I think that in order to tell that, in a sort of structured way, yeah, like that, that kind of rubric does really fit this well. Um, I think the big question is what does acceptance look mm. like? Yeah. You know, um, is acceptance like, okay, well, like I, I, I need to like, you know, marshal my powers for good and all this stuff. Um, I don't know if I see that realization coming in a half an hour next week, you know? Um, yeah. So. I don't know what the runtime is going to be next week. We should say this week, um, was, a little, you know, I think the, the runtimes are slowly edging up. Um, this week yeah. is a little longer and, um, initially um they they said like there would be six hours of content and if you're if you're keeping the meter running on your taxi cab of show run times i don't know why i started down that metaphor um we're only up to five hours so they're in theory they have an hour that they could do for the finale not that that's even enough time but like you know a little a little bit more time than a 30 minute episode um i think I think you're right. They, the MCU has dabbled in this. I think the closest they've come before is um, Iron Man 3, where Tony has PTSD from the Battle of New York, right? And uh, basically just like leaves his life 
um, to try to deal with it. And, uh, and it massively impacts his, his relationship with Pepper and all this sort of stuff like that. But once again, that's only like a two hour feature film and he needs to have had his like psychological, emotional breakthrough by the end of that film. Um, and, you know, and you see, you see a little bit of like Peter Parker dealing with the grief of losing Tony and Spider-Man far from home. Like it's there, but it's not as as much time, just as you say, we have more time in a TV show to do something like that. Um, what's interesting about Iron Man three, um, is, you know, I was just going through, um, whenever I like look at the box office of, of which MCU films performed the best, obviously in the top echelon, um, are the Avengers movies, these big team up event movies that everyone feels like they have to go see. Right. Um, but right up there towards the top, is Iron Man three and like Black Panther and Captain Marvel up there too. And I think that has to do with like, you know, an audience really thirsty for representation and they're they're you know, Black Panther certainly is an incredible film. Um, like those are up there, but Iron Man three is always so interesting to me that it is right up there. And I don't know if that's just like the star power of Robert Downey Jr. Or perhaps the star power of Guy Pierce. Um, or if it's, if it's that, that idea of, of, um, of a reckoning an emotional reckoning with this, like punch everyone into a building superhero fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think if you're going to sit with these characters in this series for as long as we've been asked to, you know, uh, 13 years now, you want some sense that they don't exist in a total vacuum, you know? And I think that, that what, what has been part of this sort of, warm appeal of of marvel movies at their best is that they do kind of let their characters tip their hand a little bit and show who they are and and um and and sit in 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 you know some of the actual feeling that these people or aliens or whoever you know however you want to classify them would be um and i would hope that what this show represents is like uh is is a more of a uh, is a commitment to that and and yeah i think that iron man 3 is an interesting movie i mean it's interesting because of who wrote and directed it um and the tone of it um but like it's this weird like kind of darkly comedic christmas movie you know like it's a it's a strange movie that like but 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 it's so is this is kind of a strange show too and i think that more and more like they have done the 13 year work of establishing these characters as like icons or standards or whatever and now they can kind of just see like all right well what are all the other facets of this person you haven't seen and i don't feel like this is i don't think that whether it's an hour next week or whatever like i i feel like this is almost like a a a bridge point for for wanda as a character i don't think there will be any sort of like sort of like snap back to to quote-unquote normal uh next week especially with this um this idea that that She's central to Doctor Strange, uh, too. You're right. It, this can just be like a ramp up to the next chapter. And that's what comics are. You know what I mean? This is comic book storytelling. Yeah. This is this is just like such an interesting new opportunity for Marvel to lay track in different ways. And we talked about it last week in in ways that it might feel less satisfying. Like Monica here, it, when you're aware that it's a setup for another movie, it can feel a little like okay, I, I see what's happening here. But but when it's um, just allowing s- 
more space for a story to flower. I think that that's an incredible um, opportunity that they have for more, for Mm -hmm. even more sophisticated storytelling. All right, let's talk about a couple big moments in this episode. First. um, Wait, I know what you're going to say. Oh, first (laughs) Wanda drives a Buick. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's a rental? Well, so I was like, this is like weird product placement, right? And then I looked it up and it's like, Buick doesn't even sell sedans in America anymore. They only do SUVs. SUVs. Um, So it's like, what, what's going on? I don't know. It was just like a very like glaring. They, they showed that car a lot. And it was just kind of funny that she's driving around in this like, like picked up at the airport rental car. Uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it was like supposed to underline the like very, because then she like, she drives to this depressed New Jersey town that, you know, it, it looks like it got hit really hard by the snap, you know, um, just like not, not on its feet, feet, Westview, uh, New Jersey. Um, and maybe it's just supposed to underline the like very ordinariness of that moment. You know, mm. she's in a Buick and, you know, the, I mean, I uh, like, uh, let's pour one out to a few of my theories uh, in this episode. I'll, I'll see if there are other ones I want to pour one out to, but like my suspicion of the mailman who kept showing up in the like sitcom universe. And I'm like, who's this guy? What's his deal? And then we see him in this episode and he's just like a pizza delivery guy. And I was like, ah, oh, he's just a pizza delivery guy. Okay. Mm. Um, that, that's just going to keep on happening to me and to others as this unfolds, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, that's, um, Classic Richard observation about the Buick. I was actually going to talk about uh, this concept of the Scarlet Witch uh, and chaos magic. And um, did you notice when Wanda, when we get the flashback to Wanda in in Sokovia being sort of experimented on with the with the Mind Stone, that she saw this figure in the yellow light of the Mind Stone? Um, yeah. Okay. And then that figure had the classic silhouette of the Scarlet Witch um, from the comics. And we've seen um, an allusion to that with um, Wanda's uh, Halloween costume uh, from an earlier episode. The the sort of headpiece, pointed headpiece, um, classic Scarlet Witch silhouette. Uh, when I first saw that, the first time watching the episode, I was like, oh, she is seeing some earlier scarlet witch because that's a that's a thing in the comics that like her real mom was a previous scarlet witch like it was sort of a a passed down thing that she found out later in life that her real mom was not um some nice woman from eastern europe but um a, a figure known as a scarlet witch um so i was i thought maybe that's what she was seeing but then uh i rewatched it and i looked a little closer and i think that she was just actually seeing her future self that we will see that silhouette from Elizabeth Olsen perhaps before the season is over. Um, how did that moment land for you? Do you have questions about the Scarlet Witch? Like, what do you, what do you think? So I guess I, I, like, like the Scarlet Witch is, is like some other thing, you know, like kind of like dark Phoenixy, I guess. Like I, um, I, I thought that the Scarlet Witch was just an antiquated sort of, they were like, oh, it's a little, it's a little too like old timey comic book to call her that in this modern movie series. I didn't realize that it was like an actual like thing that would come to be bear as like a an entity, you know. I think it's um, kind of, I think it's kind of both. I think that that first 
instinct is true. And I think initially as she's named the Scarlet Witch, um, the same way that they've done that, they've done that with other, I can't, one does not easily come to mind, but they've done that before with like comic book stuff that just like, just seems like a little the wrong side of hokey for them to sort of bring in. And they're like, we'll just ignore that. Um, but in a later comic, we do find out that like Wanda Maximoff is not the first Scarlet Witch. So like right. Marvel comics later sort of came up with this idea, as you say, this sort of like dark Phoenix type of concept of uh, a figure, you know, maybe pass through different women. Right. And like, so then it kind of, you wonder like how much is, you know, how how much of herself is she going to retain if she's becoming this thing or has it already become this thing? What does it mean? Are there responsibilities? Like, do, is there someone looking for her? Like, I, you know, I guess Agnes has been sort of, but I think Agnes didn't know what she was, who, what Wanda was until, definitely, yeah. you know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it also feels like. I guess, like, isn't that kind of like Green Lantern, like stuff with like there are lots of lanterns, but you just get this ring or something. I don't, I don't remember, but you know, uh, this kind of this idea of a, of an identity that is is uh, able to sort of uh, graft itself onto like uh, m- multiple people or or or, or, you know, or in a succession of people, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's intriguing. Uh, it it does feel like it pushes things I guess closer toward the sort of more far out guardians of the galaxy spacey stuff versus what I maybe thought at one point we were headed towards, which was more X-Men stuff, which is right. a little more terrestrial. Um, and I think that also the kind of the thing about like fake Pietro and there was, was just sort of cast aside. I was like, Oh, maybe that Evan Peters thing isn't really going to develop the way that we had thought. I, I don't know. It felt like, it felt like the Scarlet Witch thing in combination with the, the Pietro mentioned, like felt like they were taking this in a different direction than I thought they were. It's interesting. I feel more confident than ever <laughs> that Evan Peters is playing his character from the Fox universe. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why, um, the, you know, when, when, when Agnes is saying, and, and like shout out to Catherine Hahn for this episode where she just has to like, do exposition and arch commentary for like 40 minutes and does a really admirable job with it, I think. Um, but, uh, the, she, she's envious of, of Wanda's ability to just create things that that's not something that like witches can usually do, which is just like create matter. (laughs) Um, right. she makes a vision. She make she made those boys, those, the, the twins. She makes things with her magic. And, um, and so since, um, Agatha does not have that ability, I don't think she made fake Pietro. Um, she just talked about controlling him. So I still think that he was like plucked from a multiverse. Um, and I think this idea, it might, it might, I mean, I hope, hope it doesn't get too much in the weeds with infinity stones, but it might have to do with the fact that like Wanda is using an infinity stone again and what that does to mess with the like time stream and realities and stuff like that. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I I can see why people, why I could go multiple different ways, but I am like, I'm going to, I'm going to firmly plant my flag on this is the Fox universe. Peter, and that's how because if Fike, Fikey said in in, in uh, at TCA this week 
Feige said that like Evan Peters being in the show was like an early plan they had for WandaVision. And mm-hmm. so I think they really are grabbing onto this as an opportunity to open the door. The Doctor Strange sequel is called The Multiverse of Madness. Just really open the door for this concept of the multiverse and allow the characters that they like from the Fox universe, um, Quicksilver being high on a lot of people's lists from those movies and having the added benefit of already existing in this unit. Like Quicksilver was the most, um, uh, gosh, what do I want? Like permeable, um, element of this shared, uh, comic book universe that Fox and Disney and Marvel have been fighting over because they had a Quicksilver in each of their films and Feige or someone else at Marvel, but probably Feige seeing that as an opportunity to open the door to a multiverse, I think I, I think that's irresistible to them. That's what I think. But you know, I'm I'm wrong about a lot of things. So sometimes a cicada is just a cicada. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So chaos magic. Um. All of that stuff. But then we also get this white white vision. Um. At the end of the episode, that looked to me a lot like those. You know, those like white drone things from Westworld. Um, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, white vision. What are your What are your thoughts and feelings here? Um. Yeah, I wish I had. I started to rewatch Ultron uh, a couple weeks ago, and I didn't finish it. Um, but because I, I was hope I want to I wanted to better remember like what sort of vision was sort of born out of. I know it was invo- It was like involved in that whole thing. But, like, I guess I had not really ever quite grokked, like, whether he was just a robot who was extra sentient or if there was, like, an extra... I mean, obviously, he had the Infinity Stone, so there was, like, a sort of more cosmic magical element to him. But for some reason, I thought that he was maybe more organic. Um, And so, if they revive the vision body, the, the mechanical corpse, like, what consciousness does it have? Because I thought the consciousness came from the Infinity Stone. Yeah. Um, so, like, but where then... What was the thing they were had in the tank that they were using to power up the new vi- vision? Oh, they were what? using power from the Hex. So Wanda's okay. power, right? Because, like, so the thing that was powering vision was... Um, the mind stone, the yellow infinity stone that's in his forehead. Right. And as we were reminded in this episode, that's also the stone that created Wanda. She's like infused with the power of the mind stone. So, you know, Thanos rips the mind stone out of um, vision's head in Endgame or in infinity war. Um, and they can't boot him back up because they don't have the mind stone, but they can suck leech off of Wanda's power which is like mindstone infused. It's like a mindstone tea. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they use that to power him up is my assessment of what's going on. But I guess then the question is like if like the power that Wanda's using in at the moment is like whatever chaosy or dark or, or and, and born out of like you know a, a grief or mm-hmm. whatever. Like so like maybe that that sort of negative mm-hmm. thing would sort of channel into whatever this thing is. Um it could. I mean, the other there's other like elements of so the creation of Vision is a complicated little soup, right? Um, because he's got a lot of Ultron, which is James Bader's character from Age of Ultron. Um, 
but then he's got Tony Stark too, because Tony is like involved in the creation of vision. That's why it's part of why he sounds like Jarvis and stuff like that. It's all, it's all this like amalgamation of a lot of different things. And um, my feeling is, or, or my, what I wonder is if this white vision, this quote unquote pure vision um, is just going to be Ultron. It, like vision was created a vibranium body that Ultron created to put his consciousness in. Sorry if we just lost some people who are just like watching one division and haven't watched age of Ultron, but basically like a mad robot, a mad smart robot created this like ultra hunky Paul Bettany body for himself to put his consciousness into and things got mucked up when the Avengers got involved. Right. And so, um, and Ultron himself was created by Tony Stark, but, um, I wonder there, there's, there is a fun theory (laughs) that when, when, if, and when we hear white vision, uh, speak, he will be using James Bader's voice, which could be really fun. Mm. Um, and 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 therefore would be the original intention that Ultron had for that body. Um, I mean, it seems like no matter what, that vision's going to be antagonistic. <laughs> but wouldn't the like, sword you know? people know that? Like he lifted up a whole city and like killed a bunch of people. Like he was really bad. Like I don't. Under- I, I guess but- I don't understand why they would would risk like bringing Ultron back. I think I think they're playing with fire. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they they like the way that they have characterized Hayward is that he is just traumatized by the snap, and he's like, "Never again. We're going to build ourselves an indestructible weapon." Um, mm-hmm. And and that's why you know they've they created this project Cataract out of out of you know it's it's a uh, like post nine eleven Homeland Security reflex fear and um, yeah and playing with fire. Um, you know, as is often the case in comic books, but uh, the white vision does exist in, in the comics. Um, vision died and they brought him back as white vision and, um, his antagonism in, in that role is, is questionable. What, What was his primary sort of devastating feature was, uh, he did not know or remember Wanda at all, um, or their kids. Um, so whether or not that's the route they go down here, I don't know, but like, that's a potential re-traumatization. That's the thing that, that pushed Wanda over the edge in, um, earlier comics is, is this vision who doesn't know her at all. Um, right. You know. Right. There's a lot of things that have pushed Wanda over the edge in the comics, but so, yeah, so that's, so that's, you know, that's white vision and the, and the Scarlet Witch and, and we'll see, um, We'll see what we see, but I but I do think that like a vision versus vision uh, fight feels uh, you know a reasonable thing to expect. And uh, honestly, if if that's who Paul Bettany was talking about, I will I will laugh for the entire hour. Uh, and hats off to him. Um, all right, what else? What else do you want to talk about in this episode? Well. I don't know if we de- de- definitely needed like a whole plot line about literal DVD box sets of old TV shows. <laughs> Fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was like, I felt like not just on the nose, but like kind of devouring the nose. Like it was just like, okay. Like also like, I'm a little bit confused about timeline here. Like Agnes says loving the cold war vibe, which granted might've just been like a descriptor and not a literal situating it in, in a, in a time but like, I don't. Did DVD players exist before the Cold War ended? Um, 
I, I think, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, according to the lore of <laughs> the MCU, uh, that, that Stark bomb, uh, was supposed to have gone off in 1999. Technically, there were DVDs there, uh, then in 1999. Well, yes, right. But, uh, never fear. Uh, Reddit is already all on top of this for you, uh, and have identified those specific bots because they're real box sets that they used. Uh, did not some of them did not exist till 2005. So you were right to point out a slight anachronism there. Um, I don't know why they didn't just go with like VHS tapes. Um, yeah, that, that like, the thing, like do it VHS or like have their like getting some pirate signal from somewhere that's showing yeah. reruns. You know, like yeah. I, I thought that was like a little too yeah. tidy or something, and it kind of with you. took me out of it for a second. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's a minor minor quibble. I mean, I thought you know for the most part it was an interesting uh episode that you know i i guess i i it would have been fun to have a little more han in it a little more agnes versus like her being kind of some sort of sinister virgil taking wanda's dante mm. through like you know <laughs> the inferno uh-huh. or whatever yeah um but uh you know maybe I th- i'm assuming next week it'll be a big clash or something you know along those lines um the thing that I did want to say about this like Sokovian backstory for Wanda, there's this great piece that um, uh, Gavia Baker Whitlaw put up on, on the daily dot um, after the Halloween episode called the complicated history of Marvel whitewashing Scarlet, Witch." Wanda Maximoff's Romani heritage was erased from the MCU leading to ongoing problems with her role. Um, and this idea that in the comics, you know, Wanda is the daughter of Magneto, who is famously like a Jewish uh, character and that his wife is um, Romani um, and this sort of like Jewish Romani uh, identity for Wanda and Pietro is actually something that like, you know, the comics is interested in and not something that the MCU is interested in at all. And that's, uh, there are ways in which that's okay. There are ways in which to change. I mean, I don't think you could do Magneto without the Holocaust backstory, like if if you were just to erase Magneto's Jewishness, re- erasing anyone's Jewishness is is problematic. But like, if they wanted to go for like an Eastern Bloc Cold War uh, vibe for Wanda instead, it'd be kind of okay. I think what really struck a sour note, or I'm not the one to say it's okay, but what really struck a sour note for this author and for other people is the sort of like throwaway joke in the Halloween episode of like, I'm dressed as a Covian fortune teller. And it felt like really like leaning into, um, these like, uh, stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like, felt like a little flip in light of the fact that this is an ele- a real cultural element of this comic book character that they've decided to not engage with. So to dress it up as like, Halloween costumery, um, I think bugs some people. And so I was curious to see, like, I was expecting that based on some like trailer stuff, I was expecting that we were going to get like Sokovian flashbacks. And I was curious to see if there was going to be any direct engagement in that. And, and, you know, there wasn't really time for that in the story that they want to tell. Um, but I'm sure that that is, um, maybe something some people were hoping to see uh, in all of this. Yeah. I mean, when you have a character who is canonically, um, uh, a, a descendant or member of two of the most persecuted ethnic groups right. in European history. Yeah. Uh, like that's a pretty huge legacy for that character to have and, and, and to, to work with thematically and, and all that. And, and to kind of not pick that up at all um, would seem like 
I mean, an, an, an offense certainly, but like also if you want to be really cynical about it, just like a missed storytelling opportunity, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I would hope that there will, there'll be more, maybe as she figures out what the Scarlet Witch is and how it relates to her more sort of about her self and identity and let, you know, uh, ancestry will, um, come, come to, come to light. That's what I was hoping for. Like when I saw the Scarlet Witch silhouette in the Mind Stone, I was like, oh, are we going to get like Wanda's real mom? Are we going to get more of that? Like, are we actually going to go there with this, uh, question of identity? And, um, Maybe not, but, or maybe, uh, you know, uh, next time on Doctor Strange 2, who knows? Um, but, uh, I, I agree. I think it's a missed opportunity. I think it's one of the more interesting things that the X-Men films did with the character of Magneto. Um, and so, uh, it, it would be, I think it would be a really, um, the right, the right thing to do for a number of different reasons for them to, to find the space to engage in that. So, um, all right. Anything else we want to say? Oh, I, I thought I really liked, I did like the scene when Agatha was giving Wanda shit for not knowing anything about how to use her magic. Um, and, and sort of like rattling off a couple different, like formal technical, spells and hexes and stuff like that um agatha harkness in the comic books is the one who like teaches wanda how to use her powers so i thought that was like a nice little nod to the comics but it's also a potential track for dr strange like if if this comes if wanda comes out of this as a powerful magic user who would like to know more about how to use her magic uh stephen strange is in a in a decent position to be someone who helps her figure that out so, um, yeah, especially yeah. considering that it didn't seem that Wanda had ever, you know, imagined or, or, or considered that like there were other people like this and that actually there was a sort of like, uh, not set of rules, but like a, a technique and there, that, you right. know, there, this is a, this is a practice of, of other people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the first we're hearing of that too, which, um, you know, sort of happily tosses Marvel further into the supernatural realm, um, which is fine, you know, cause that's what the comics are. But like, um, it's funny just to see how the, how far they've come from like 2008, you know, it's all about <laughs> like arms dealers and yeah. war stuff and tech. And now it's like, oh no, it's like a, you know, space witch or whatever. It's like Salem witch know. trials. Here we go. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah. And, and what this, uh, you know, when this is the last thing I think I'll probably need to say is like when um when Wanda and Pietro were created in Age of Ultron via the Mind Stone, um, or before the action of, of Age of Ultron via the Mind Stone, um it seemed like Marvel's workaround, because in the comic books they're mutants, right? And at that time Marvel did not have the ability to uh engage with the concept of mutants because Fox Studios owned the concept of mutants, right? Right. So Wanda and Pietro could not be mutants. So instead they're like mindstone generated uh enhanced individuals. But they already had some ability before that, right? That's okay. what this episode right. underlines. Right. Is that at least she did. She did. Well probably Pietro too, because you know the 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 Hydra scientists were saying no one survived, you right. know, Tinker with this. So she survived, but also Pietro survived. 
so in theory, both she and Pietro had like, you know, as, as Agnes says, sort of like this, this like fledgling magical ability in them that might've just died on the vine had it not been hit with a blast of, um, the mind stone. So there we go. All right. Do you have to get two mind stone blasts to be vaccinated? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, the, the the new Johnson and Johnson one is just one blast. From, They're a new uh, milestone, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. So, um, all right, Richard, uh, until, until you're back fully infinity stone vaccinated next week and where can folks find you? Oh, you know, reviewing on VF.com, tweeting at Rylaws, searching for mind stones or other <laughs> magic stones. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, excited to listen to your conversation with Anthony. All right. Well, Richard, we will see you next week for the grand finale. And, um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see where we go. All right. Bye. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Each story from our guests and listeners is totally unique and utterly personal. We love hearing about your first impressions when visiting someplace new. My first trip to the Patagonia region was on the Argentine side. I couldn't believe the expansive territory. It's like being in Tibet. The emptiness and the harshness really, I found transformative. Or a story told when safely back on dry land. You know, things happened every single day. I ran out of gas on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. And I was like, what if a sea creature comes to eat me? But then I'm delusional. I was like, I'll make friends with it and it won't eat me. And maybe I'll ride that back to shore. That's how it works. (laughs) Join me, Lale Arakoglu, every week for more adventures on women who travel, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am Mephisto. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. In the MCU, right? I'm a big red guy. I'm a big red guy who's essentially the devil. They told me I'm going to be, I'm going to be there first as a stork. Right? So I show up on the day covered in glue and feathers. I say, I'm ready. They say, Al, it's going to be a CGI stork. I say, well, somebody could have told me that. Somebody could have said something. All right. uh, We did not have an interview this week, but what you just heard uh, was one of our listeners who sent in a great Al Pacino impression that I just decided to slot in our usual interview spot. That's Scott (laughs) Sice who sent that in for us. Uh, You can go to www.scottsice, that's S-E-I-S-S dot com to check him out. Um, That was just like a real treat for us. So thank you, Scott, for sending that in. Um, We... We had planned uh, to speak with Emma Caulfield this week, but um, we were told that maybe uh, it might be wise to wait a week on that. So uh, we will talk about our 
Emma Caulfield slash Dottie theories a little later on, but we wanted to start Anthony Breskin's here. We wanted to start, uh, by doing something that I've actually been kind of remiss in doing on this podcast, which is shout out the specific, um, episode writers. I've been sort of lazily giving, um, head writer Jack Schaefer credit for the whole thing when, as we know, it's a little bit more complicated that like than that in TV writing. So this episode is credited to Laura. Donnie, Mm -hmm. and we wanted to shout out specifically this line, uh, what is grief if not love persevering as like a, oof, ow, oof, Oof. Uh, beautiful. That's a beautiful line. Yeah. Um, It's so beautiful that I'm like, oh, is he quoting someone or is that whoever came up with that line of Laura Donnie or... uh, Someone else in the writer's room or an improv. <laughs> I don't know, but like it was beautiful. That was really a great line. He's gorgeous. He's gorgeous. Um, so we're here to talk about, um, you know, this episode on a slightly, as I said, more granular level than I did with Richard. Um, I do want to shout out a, a couple things. We are going to talk about, um, a storyboard that leaked early in the season. The scene already uh, occurred in this episode. So I would now no longer consider that a spoiler. Um, I was aware of this storyboard a couple weeks ago. I did not bring it up on here because that felt like a bridge too far in terms of things to talk about. But it's now, I feel like... You are a good host. That's why. (laughs) Because people don't want it. No, I wouldn't want things spoiled, you know? Uh, But it now feels like fair game to talk about. So we're going to talk about that. And then... um, And then um, probably towards the end of, of this segment, I will talk about a photo that one of the actors put on Twitter, which, again, I think is maybe fair game. Um, and may pan out to mean nothing, but it's very interesting. So we want to talk about that as well. So that, that'll save till the end and I'll give you a little warning about that and you can jump off if you don't want to listen to that. So, um, let's start, let's start with this storyboard, if you don't mind, um, Anthony Bresnikin. Yes. Uh, so the, the scene that, that leaked, and by leaked, I mean the artist put it up online himself, um, of, <laughs> it was from this, and I'm sure got in a lot of trouble, and I hope he's okay. Um, it's funny because everybody on, who works on the Marvel movies is so tight lipped that even when it's coming out, they, they look around the room and aren't sure what they can talk about. Yeah. And like, this guy's just like, hey, you want to see a scene from the <laughs> upcoming episode of WandaVision? Here it is. I don't know what happened there. But, um, so, uh, this is a scene from this episode when Wanda walks into the sword building to grab, um, Vision's, uh, body. And what you see, I mean, a lot of it is the same. What's kind of fun is that it starts with, um, her walking through the door and you see the Agnes figure behind her. Well, you see a figure with what looks like a cat. And so I actually have to wonder if like maybe at one point they wanted to make Senior Scratchy a cat uh, in the comics. Agatha has a familiar that's a cat named Ebony. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if maybe they decided cats are too hard to work with because they are. If you've ever listened to an Oscar Isaac interview about Inside Lewin Davis. Um, so maybe they just decided a rabbit would be easier. I don't know. But um, once upon a time, it was going to be a cat and Agnes and... Um, Wanda walking in and Wanda sort of angrily asking to see Vision's body. And it's almost exactly the same, uh, except for this one snippet of dialogue. And we should say that, like, you know, you might know better than me, um, Anthony, but like more often than not, the dialogue of a storyboard will change before yeah. it makes it to the screen, right? 
Yeah, quite often. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, yeah. it, it changes <clears throat> from the script as well, you right. know, when you're shooting it on the day and then right. it changes again when it gets edited. So they right. very well could have shot this and who knows. We'll see. Uh, but there's a key line here where she references some other Avengers in the uh, in the aftermath of Endgame. Yeah, so so we're not saying it's like it's it's wild that things changed because things change all the time. But it is, I find it interesting to look at like when things change, what and why did they change? Right. So the line here, as Wanda is sort of menacing, um, like uh, someone at the sword security desk, is I'm sick of everyone acting like Tony Stark is the only person we lost. Like he's the only Avenger there ever was. Too bad then if you're Natasha, but at least she was flesh and blood, right? But where are the memorials for Vision? No loving tributes for the synthesoid. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this in this version did not make it in, you know, it's, it's more what made it into the final thing is more, you know, please let me bury my loved one's body. Let me yeah. in. Um, yeah. And I just think it's really interesting, uh, especially this mention of Natasha here. Um, I've heard, um, I don't know if you and I have had this conversation since we weren't colleagues when uh, Endgame came out, but um, the, uh, I was a little salty about uh, how things ended for Natasha uh, in that film. Um, I know that we're getting a Black Widow film, so we will be getting a, a loving two-hour tribute to Natasha uh, and Scarlett Johansson in that film. But I was a little salty that, like, Natasha goes off the cliff and then the ending of the movie is just all about Tony and not yeah, about right. the other people sort of who fell. Um, do you have any reaction to this? Uh, yeah, I get it. I get the I get your saltiness. Like she sacrificed herself uh just as much as he did. And yeah. uh and uh yet there was no like circle of mourning for her. Um There's again, like an I, angry lakeside dock moment, but no like, you know, I don't know. It just, it felt like, and I understand Robert Downey Jr. is so important to the whole franchise. It's a big moment. It makes a lot of sense. It's a full circle moment, but um, I like, it feels like an especially true character moment for Wanda who had a connection uh, with Natasha. We see that in um, civil war, the beginning of civil war when they're on assignment and she and Natasha are like having a little like, you know, fun, friendly back and forth on assignment and stuff like that. Like when you, when you run down the list of friends that Wanda had in the Avengers, it's basically like uh, Natasha Clint um, and uh, Steve and vision. And that's Mm -hmm. like, and that's it. And Steve is off, you know, with Peggy and La La Land. Right. Uh, Natasha's dead. Clint, uh, tune into Hawkeye to find out what Clint's doing. Um, but no one's checking in on Wanda. And that's devastating, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, also maybe Natasha doesn't stay dead. <laughs> that's my. Oh, guess. okay. So you don't have like a big mourning for her because maybe there's a way that she returns. Oh, interesting. That's the first time I've heard someone put that theory forward you know and maybe not i mean we're gonna get a a black widow movie um which is a prequel that we know which is that's a prequel but but okay okay but i've also heard that it does connect to the future as well it's not fully locked to the past and i learned that from doing some 
you know, some homework about like the releasing of these movies. And like, yeah, I happened to mention to somebody, well, I guess you lucked out in a way because the, the, the uh, Natasha movie, the Black Widow film is self-contained because it all exists in the past. And they yeah. were like, oh, actually, oh. there are parts of it that actually that connect to the current like forward moving storyline. And I'm like, oh, I wonder, hmm, I wonder. I mean, maybe um, the way that I would interpret that <clears throat> is that uh, we know that Florence Pugh is going to be in some of these Disney Plus shows. That has been like confirmed. Mm-hmm. And her character is going to be introduced in Black Widow. I mean, um, Loki so. died too, right? It's true. <laughs> so, it's true. And it's we're true. getting a Loki show. And, which we're is- be- and we're maybe getting a multiverse. So who knows? We could get 90 Black Widows in another movie. Um, all right. So so that's the that's the storyboard moment uh, that I thought was interesting. Um, you wanted to talk about a particular show that gets sort of uh, heavy rotation uh, in this sitcom uh, <laughs> previously on episode. Um, which show did oh, you have your eye on? Anthony? Dick Van Dyke, the Dick Van Dyke mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Look, Dick Van Dyke is he's up there in years, but he is still kicking and dancing, and he's. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, they focus so much on that as the show that that Wanda and uh, Pietro and her family are watching when the bomb hits their home. Uh, we were talking about the big cameo, and you know, Paul Bettany said there's an actor he would love to work with, and we have uh, you've done deep dives into like which actors have he com- has he complimented <laughs> in the past, like, uh, but like who wouldn't love to talk to or, or perform opposite Dick Van Dyke? Like he is. He is one of the classics, right? And so, um, he, and he's still with us. So, and you know, another interesting thing about Dick Van Dyke, I interviewed him years ago. Uh huh. He loves visual effects and does amateur visual effects himself. Does he? I love yeah. That. Like, and he told me, like, remember that he was on that show, like, Diagnosis Murder, like, yeah. years and years ago? He yeah, was like, oh, yeah. yeah, they needed a little, like, visual effect. It wasn't obviously, he was not, like, animating like an Avengers battle scene or something. But he was like, oh, I did a little thing. I think it was like a car going off a cliff and he like, he touched it up or something. And did, he was like, oh, I did that myself because they didn't, you know, they said they decided they needed it at the last minute. And I was like, oh, that's kind of really cool. Wow. You do it yourself? Like, all right. Um, so, you know, he's into these kinds of movies. That'd be, that'd be kind of neat to see Dick Van Dyke turn up, don't you? Yes. Think? I mean, um, my Al Pacino theory feels, uh, or not, it's not my, the Al Pacino theory feels Less likely as as the days go on. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you feel coming out the other side of this, but uh, Richard and I talked a little bit about like whether or not it would actually be satisfying for their beat to be another villain. When like would that undercut the power of Agatha and Ag- Agnes? You know. Well, I don't think there's another villain in this show. I think Agatha is the villain. It's just what is her goal, and if her goal is to reanimate Ralph, Senior Scratchy. Let's call him Mephisto or Nightmare. Um, then I could see her succeeding in that and still being the main villain, right? You've just unlocked this villain for uh, uh, Doctor Strange, Strange to yeah. grapple with. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah, possibly in the multiverse the, of madness. You know. Okay, let's game this out a little bit. Like, let's say so. Uh, you know, Agnes, the way that her power seems to manifest i i called her in my notes multiple times like a magic eater right like that she drains other people of their magic uh which goes back to that uh shark yogurt 
commercial that we saw in the 90s episode, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, you know, she drains people's magic and that powers her up more. Like we saw that in the, in the cold open, right? That she's like, um, when she sucks on the magic of the other witches, it makes her even more powerful to be able to take on her mom, which is a lot to unpack. Um, and so, you know, in theory, let's say she's trying to get Wanda to go, uh, nuclear again, the way that she did when she built the hex in the first place. And when she does that, uh, Agnes can just like gobble up all of her, um, <laughs> magic for herself, right? And power mm-hmm. herself up even more. That that's what she's going for. She's trying to, you know, figure out how to get this like explosive event to recur so that she can suck all that magic. Um, and then she needs that magic to, let's say, open that book that looks like maybe it was stolen from Doctor Strange's library. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe she needs that. And in doing so, maybe, yes, maybe she will invite Al Pacino <laughs> or Dick Van Dyke to the party. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. The cicada seems to be just a cicada. Would you agree? Hmm. It's... You know, she's surrounded by nature. You remember how we talked in a previous episode about how Agatha had like a, ma- a magic plant that like you could, yeah, uh, well, something eats it, and then you eat the pl- eat the critter that eats the, the plant, yes. and like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and uh, in her living room when the kids were hanging out and Wanda came in, you notice there were like paintings of vines creeping up the walls. Like she's very much like a nature. Totally. Which, and like, I love the setting of the Salem, uh, I don't know what you'd call that, interrogation. It looked like it was sort of, she was prepared to be, she was tied to a stake. I don't know if she was going to be burned at the stake. That looked like some kind of altar. But the waterfall in the background, she's very much a nature cr- creature. But also, uh, the cicada is a symbol of metamorphosis. You know, it changed into a bird and then uh, uh, she grabbed it and crushed it. <laughs> and, uh <laughs> Um, I noticed in the previous episode too, when Wanda goes into that basement, there are some cicadas just hovering around. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes a cicada is just a cicada. <laughs> sometimes a drone is just a drone, man. Um, something that uh kind of blew my mind that a that a listener pointed out to me on Twitter, uh, is that going by the sort of increasingly drained of energy idea, um, if you listen to all the ways in which Elizabeth Olsen has done the line reading previously on WandaVision throughout the season, each one decreases in energy. Oh, like she's really? super bright and perky uh, at the beginning. And by the end, she just sounds like beaten down, um, which is uh, what a fascinating little detail. Like someone, someone said that to me on Twitter. I was like, mm, sure, sure. And then I listened to, I listened to all of them myself and I was like, Oh, well, yep. It's there true. You go. It's true. Neat little Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you want to talk about the, I mentioned the, the yogurt commercial. Do you want to talk about the commercials and how you're feeling about them now? Yeah. So I feel like this episode, I mean, it's called previously on, so it's all flashback. I don't know that there's much theorizing moving forward from here. We're kind of like, this is more like, uh, testing and reaffirming some of the hypothesis that we've explored. But, um, so we get an explanation of the, uh, Stark, Toastmaster, which is the bomb, uh, beeping in, mm-hmm. in uh, their uh, apartment. And the, the I like the little hint that uh, maybe Wanda works some magic that 
defuse the bomb. I know. I was talking to Richard about that. Like, you know, the workaround for mutants in the Mar- the MCU was to have Pietro and Wanda sort of be created by the Mind Stone. But I love this indication that we get in this episode that they probably already had some magic inside of them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, you get the Strucker timepiece mm-hmm. and uh, – you know, I like that little moment where they're like, what happened here? Because she just sort of like goes from standing to like, there's like a jump cut on the surveillance. Yeah. And so she's kind of editing her reality already. Even back then. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the hot, it's interesting. So what was it? Hydrolux? Was that the name of the commercial? When they, when Hydra she's like Soak? In the, Hydra Soak? Hydra Soak. She yeah. was in the soothing thing. Yeah. And what's funny is, so the, you know, the clip of that we, or the scene that we explore in her past uh, where uh, Hydra is, uh, you know, the background villain. Uh, it's from around the time of Winter Soldier where she, um, well, I, or I guess, yeah, right after it. This would have been right after Ultron, not Winter Soldier. But like uh, the, basically Hydra collapsing S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Avengers uh, actually leads to like one of her more comfortable reassuring times because she's with vision she's living like in the dorm at the new avengers headquarters and like she's happy they're watching tv together and it's like it's like not a bad time so then from there we go to the yo magic right isn't that the next commercial or am i skipping one there's the the paper towel logos thing and that's captain america civil war Uh yeah, right. that of course is like yeah, where she made a mess mm-hmm. in Lagos. That's right. Thank you for mm-hmm. reminding me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and she's kind of grappling with that. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really get much exploration of that in this episode. Um, but well, the the scene with her and Vision is is Civil War era, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, but Hydra led her to be the collapse of Hydra as the secret government uh, infiltration mm-hmm. leads to her happiness with vision. And um, so uh, then we have, of course the yo magic. And then last week's episode was the Nexus. We didn't get a commercial this time. Right. Um, so I think those are over. And the Nexus thing I think is the future. I think she's going to be going through some doorways. And so that's, you know, she's going to be moving through different realities. And what we saw, the big reveal of this, although there were a few, I think is that a Wanda can create her reality. So what does that mean in terms of a multiverse? If you have somebody who can um, harness what Agatha called chaos magic and literally create your own reality. She did not reanimate Vision's corpse. She created him again from her own soul i guess from her own memories and uh that's a pretty astounding accomplishment and that would explain why he cannot leave the hex he must exist in this sort of terrarium that she's created yeah yeah and uh and the thing that really boggles agatha harkness's mind is like whoa well you can you know she has used magic on things but she has not seen magic create an alternate reality in essentially a different universe. And that's really powerful. Uh, at least to judge by Agatha, who seems to know her stuff. See, Agatha seems like somebody who's like, who went to college, who majored in witchcraft and dark <laughs> arts, you uh-huh. know, 
with a minor in villainy and mm-hmm. like she knows all the rules like she's like ah oh, you didn't notice all the little uh runes around this room that prevent another witch from using magic here like i feel like wanda doesn't know rules she just has sort of raw talent and power mm-hmm. she has the ability like to use like a sports analogy to like hurl the ball really far but doesn't know all the ins and outs and strategies of the game so they're an interesting match and so, like, half of the time, I think Wanda's just like, I'm just throwing fireballs around. <laughs> like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, and, and she's more of an intuitive ma- kind of magic. And she is, a, you know, being controlled by her grief and her her wish that things were different and figuring out how to use that power to make it so. And, uh, you know, I just think that's a power that somebody like Agatha, who's very studied, would like to have. It reminds me a little bit of like Amadeus, you know, where oh, Mozart is just like she's the Salieri. She like Agatha is like the Salieri. Like <laughs> I'm obsessed. You know, let's I'm hear it for the mediocre. That interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, uh, Agnes the Salieri, a beautiful, beautiful uh, idea. Um, let's let's go back to that um, that witch trial scene um, when. Um, Agatha kills her own mother when her mother is like fully powered up. We see this like blue crown sort of of magic kind of appear on her mom's head. And some folks have wondered if like maybe that, you know, if we see Wanda in the future as the more traditional Scarlet Witch and Scarlet Witch wears this like headpiece, if instead of an, a literal headpiece, we might see like a red powered magic around her head in that crown like fashion but what's also interesting to me about that scene i don't know what to make of this but um according to the credits that character uh agnes's mom agatha's mom uh is named evanora which is the name of rachel vice's character in oz the great and powerful and i really feel like i'm being trolled by oz and great the powerful at this point Mm. this is the second oz the great and powerful reference uh in uh in this show we originally we this is sam raimi's um take on the wizard of oz um but anyway um i don't know if you had any thoughts about why that's I, in here may i maybe just in a little easter egg like uh, these are witches throughout time and they turn up in literature i don't know that's tough like that's a deep cut, but it might just be a little shout out, you know yeah i guess i mean like it's really possible they're just giving sam raimi um some shout outs. Uh, he will be directing uh, the Doctor Strange 2. So maybe they're just like referencing his his uh, his witch movie. Um, do you want to like, should I put my um, Evanor, by the way, it's Wicked Witch of the East, um, played by Rachel Weiss in that film. Uh, should I put my three witches theory to bed? Or do you, Anthony Breskin, have some Dottie related hope for me? What do you think? Yeah, well, okay. So I think that opening scene uh, from this episode where there's a coven of witches who uh, uh, are basically putting Agatha on trial for, what did she say? Like, uh, like learning things beyond your station. Like, wow. Mm. Mm. that's a put down way to gatekeep (laughs) magic mom exactly so um you know there are other witches and uh well in fact other witches in the marvel universe other magic wielders 
I mean, like Sorcerer's Supreme, right? And uh, mm-hmm. our source, it, like, if you say, so- is it Sorcerer's Supremes, or is it like Attorneys General? Like, are you s- <laughs> there are Isn't there only one. Supreme. Isn't there only one Sorcerer Supreme? Yeah, but I mean, there have been different ones in the past, right? True, true. So, like, yes, you know. I, I was using Jeez. that as an example of like there are different magic powered beings. There are sorcerer supreme. There are attorneys general. Uh, is, is that how we should be thinking about the the Scarlet Switch, <laughs> um, like it, as like a sorcerer supreme mantle that's sort of passed on? Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, I guess it would still be Scarlet Witches because witch is the verb. And yeah, that's Scarlet true. That's would true. be the adjective. Yeah. Like so. You know, general is the adjective in attorney's... Fair, fair. All right, whatever. (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, there is... uh, There are lots of uh, theories about um, whether everybody that we've been seeing in the... uh, In the... uh, In the town of Westview... Uh, speaking of witches, Wicked Witch of the West, right? Yeah. So, Wicked Witch of Westview. Eastview. Uh, mm-hmm. East. Oh, yeah. They mention Eastview, right? That's where mm-hmm. the cops are from. Mm-hmm. Where are you guys from? Eastview. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are... Um, yeah, there are other... I think that that that, that uh, we're going to discover that Agatha Harkness is not alone. And one of the things that you notice is that um, the flowers in um, the front yards kind of match the magic mm-hmm. colors of the, of the heroes and villains we're talking about. So, you know, the flowers that uh, um, Wanda found the little helicopter in were red. Um we find out later, although it's black and white, like the flowers outside her yard are red. The flowers outside Agatha's yard are purple. Of course, she wields purple magic. Mm-hmm. And then you remember in that earlier episode when she says, you know, uh, Dottie here is the key to everything in mm-hmm. this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there's a character called Ar- Arcana Jones mm-hmm. who wields like a kind of yellow magic, I guess, a very sunny magic. And, you know, she... Every, she always wears yellow. She's blonde. She's um, got yellow. I think mean, it's like roses in the front of her yard. Mm-hmm. Yellow rose of Texas, you know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yellow rose of Westview. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't seem to be accidental. And I think also, um, you know, her for saying she's key to the neighborhood or she's key to everything in town. Uh, doesn't really get to um why you would cast an actress of this stature in the part, right? She hasn't really been given enough to do. So just Emma, kind of like, Emma Caulfield, yeah, Emma Caulfield, yeah, yeah. So like you know, she's got a history in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is uh, uh, playing a demon who hates bunnies. By the way, mm, so true. bunnies, you know, <laughs> c- could come up again. Uh. Yeah, I just think there's more to her, right? And I think it's sort of like in a murder mystery, like you can often determine uh, who the killer is by like, who's the most extraneous character here? <laughs> like, who else, who, who could you lose from the story and they don't matter? And it's like, oh yeah, that's the person who did the, did the crime. I've been thinking about that. Um, I think Richard and I talked about this a little bit last week because we had a listener write in who whose mom was like an Agatha Christie fan. And I was like, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of like Agatha Christie classic to have a character played by an actress that not everyone recognizes, but certainly like Buffy fans do. Um, 
uh, who shows up memorably at the beginning when she does. She has that big, like, moment where she breaks the glass and there's, like, blood and she says, who are you? Very suspiciously. In the same way that, like, Agatha is like, who are you, dude? Like, who are you? So, like, the the way that Agatha was drawn to the Hex to investigate this explosion of power, uh, Dottie might have been similarly drawn. Uh, because I don't like what we what we find out in the flashback in this episode is that, you know, something we already knew that most of the people in this town were just residents of this downtrodden New Jersey, um, you know, suburb. Right. And um, but we have yet to see Dottie in that context. So it's possible that Dottie, like like Agnes, rolled up when the explosion happens and she doesn't roll up until you know, Agnes gets there first in episode one. Dottie shows up in episode two. So it's possible that she rolled up a little later. Um, those two houses, Agnes's house and Dottie's house, flank Wanda. So it's possible that Dottie moved in next door to yeah. try to figure out what's going on here. There's also um, the obvious of Dottie Jones, Ar- Arcana Jones. Right. And like her, her husband's her- name is Phil. And I think Arcana Jones's husband's name is Phil in the comics as well. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I mentioned how sunny she is, but her her code name, which they seldom use in Marvel. They use them as little as possible. Like, they don't always call uh, – they tend to call him Steve instead of Captain America, right? Yeah. They, uh, they, and then there was that point um, midway through the season of WandaVision – uh, where they say like, "Oh, Scar, uh, Wanda, does she ever have any like interesting code right, name?" And they're like, right. "Nope, nope, she doesn't." <laughs> and like, uh, yeah. So Arcana Jones's uh, code name is Moonglow. I just think it's definitely good. She's definitely gonna whip out some magic yellow orbs and start throwing uh, fire at uh, at at Wanda at some point. She's in on it, right? I would love She's to gonna- see it. Do- like do- my my hope that Dottie the Dottie uh, seed. Uh, flower satisfactorily uh, by the end of the season mm-hmm. has been like one of my fondest wishes for this show because I'm a big Emma Caulfield fan. So like I said, we yeah. were supposed to talk to her this week. Uh, she's not in this episode, so we will be talking to her next week and hopefully we will have a, she will have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about magic. We got this e- interesting email from uh, listener James about chaos magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he writes in, okay, so vision theory. Obviously, now that we know vision isn't real and just a product of Wanda's chaos magic, meaning he can't survive outside her hex, we have to think about how he might get out of this alive. Obviously, uh, the white vision is going to be evil, but what if somehow Wanda's vision is able to phase into the shell of white vision and use it as a vessel to survive outside the hex. I'm not sure how this would work, but it's the best I can come up with right now. But if the Wanda vision can't survive, but if the, but if the, if Wanda's vision can't survive outside the heck, then surely neither can Billy or Tommy. But we know that ultimately they have to. This is Wiccan we're talking about after all. So maybe Agatha ends up trapping the twins in the multiverse somewhere. Maybe Doctor Strange 2 will be a heist movie, a rescue mission to find the twins. It would make sense that Agatha has some kind of access to the multiverse, being that she appeared to have plucked Fietro out of it. And with Wanda being untrained, as it were, it would make sense that she ends up ripping it all open. If you can't use a door handle, you smash the door down. Anyway, long theory, but you guys are amazing. Keep up the great work. So... This idea of like what's gonna happen in vision. I mean, my I think the most straightforward thing that might happen is that we get a vision on vision fight and they both die. 
uh, would be a, a guess, but but mm-hmm. vision phases into vision is a kind of fun idea. But what happens to the twins is a is a very interesting question. Do you have any thoughts about that, Anthony? What the question being what whether vision will live on in white vision? Actually, the oh. question being like, will the twin? How will the twins survive if vision can't exist outside the hex? Yeah, can the twins? exist outside the hex and if they can't how can they survive beyond this um i think okay i think i I think your theory about white vision being a vessel for vision to continue not my listeners theory theory. yeah sorry i think that's a good one that's sound because she's gonna have to battle this thing and i think she's gonna have a hard time destroying it because she's already destroyed him once and seen him killed another time and like that's going to be hard on Wanda. But I also don't think we've seen the limit of her powers. Like I said, she's untrained. And a lot of this is about her discovering who she is and what she can do. And I think, you know, it's sort of like she's she's learning how to grow things in this hex. But she has also expanded that hex exponentially. Mm-hmm. And I could see her developing a power where, yes, they her children, she can manifest them for real, for real, you know, just drop everything else and put it all into them. And maybe there's a, something with the Nexus where they have to go, you know, pull them from another dimension or something. Maybe, I don't know, but I think she, I think, I think her next move is to level up and like, okay, now, now you can breathe in space. Now you can go beyond the atmosphere of the hex and just live. We should mention that um, in the comic books, like the twins go away because they were created out of the energy of Mephisto, which is why people keep looking for Mephisto everywhere in the show. But they they do go away and then sort of reemerge as teenagers, as young Avengers. So it's possible that the kiddos that we see at the end of this episode do go away (laughs) Uh, that's my gentlest way of saying die. Do like, uh, you know, vanish, get reabsorbed, get absorbed into a nightmare or Mephisto summoning spell or something like that. Um, but do reemerge in the larger MCU at a later point. I do, I do like the idea that like Wanda's training in Doctor Strange 2, if indeed that's what happens, is motivated by her pursuit of her children. It's a really relatable, emotional, personal uh, stakes to put on something like that. Do you know what I mean? Rather than like mm-hmm. save the multiverse, which I guess is also important. Um, all right. So a couple other things that I want to talk about. Oh, this is this is one of my favorite things to talk about in, in this late era Marvel, which is <laughs> Marvel's tendency to make its earlier, rockier properties – feel essential. I talk about this all the time as it pertains to Thor the Dark World in Endgame, right? We have Thor go back in time to the events of the Dark World and have this really emotional conversation with his mom, Freya. And that all of a sudden makes Thor the Dark World, which is sort of universally considered one of the rockier MCU films, essential viewing, right? For the larger story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like they're doing a similar thing with Ultron with this show because Ultron also also was sort of a bumpy entry. There's plenty has been said about like Joss Whedon's battles with Marvel, with the creative committee, how all of that turned out wound up being 
just a little choppy, I would say, of Ultron if I'm on my most sort of charitable days. But like, you know, with flashbacks to Strucker, to Sokovia, to all this sort of stuff, to we have to keep thinking about Pietro's monologue about watch about the red light on the Stark bomb and stuff like that. It suddenly it makes Ultron uh essential viewing. And I just I feel like it's this genius thing that Kevin Feige and the Marvel folks do to sort of tighten up their entire universe that they're building here, the looser threads, they're going to go back and weave that back in, in a way that just makes the whole thing feel tighter knit than it did before. Um, so that's just something I, I felt like we got a lot of in this episode, you know, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, there's a lot in this episode. There's a lot, but not a lot to like puzzle over. It's much more about revealing and confirming and, yeah. And sh- sort of shoring things up. Um, I feel, just a few last things before we're going to wrap up for this Friday. Uh, I do want to shout out this line, um, this really emotional moment when Wanda goes down to see the pieces of Vision's body. Uh, we get a little like Alan Silvestri on the score and she says, um, I can't feel you. Right. Um, you may recall that in infinity war when vision, uh, uh, tells Wanda she has to like kill him. He says, "You could never hurt me. I just feel you." Hmm. You know, so this just feels like a like a really poignant echo of that when she says, "I can't feel you." Um, here uh, with his with his uh, you know dismantled body, real real real. And I thought Elizabeth Olsen was incredible in that in that moment uh, and in this episode in general. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Very good. She's. Really a wonderful actress. She catches the inner life of this, uh, yeah, um, this being who doesn't understand her power. The but feels powerless. She feels so hope like right when she's standing before that uh, sword, um, yeah, uh, reception desk, like kind of kind of pulling a little bit of a do you know who I am? But yeah. like <laughs> you know. She's like the most power, one of the most powerful beings in this storybook story universe, and she's not, the, and she feels like one of the weakest and most overlooked. The um, the 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 director of swords, evil machinations. I feel like we've already like pretty well established, but like, let's just, I guess, underline it so that people don't think we missed it, which is just that like, he lied about her taking the body. Um, it's clear that he's just been looking this whole time. He's been manipulating her. Like he manipulated her in that scene. Uh, he's like, only you can resurrect, you know, he wanted her to power vision up right then and there. Um, and she's like, no, that's not what I'm doing. Um, but that he's been after that that hex juice, that mindstone juice that runs through her uh, this whole time. That's what it, ultimately he uses to power up the the white vision, right? So, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about this that that mindstone thing. This is the last thing I want to talk about before we get into that thing that might people might consider a spoiler, so they can jump off. Um, so, <sighs> Wanda has infused the mindstone. I watched I watched a bunch of really nerdy videos about the Infinity Stones uh, before we recorded today, uh, because it, uh, some of the stuff that happens in Endgame I've always been like a little confused by. But essentially, at the end of the day in Endgame, uh, Thanos has has pulverized all of the Infinity Stones, 
and uh, Captain America has returned all the Infinity Stoles, Stones that they took from time back to their original place. Because in this, like, monologue that I've watched a few times, Tilda Swinton's character, the Ancient One, says, like, if you take a, an Infinity Stone out of where it belongs, you get this branching off reality. Um, a darker timeline, essentially. Um, okay, so... Steve has returned all the Infinity Stones to where they belong in the past. In the present, Thanos has pulverized all the Infinity Stones. They still exist in the world, but according to, like, Marvel, you know, Marvel.com or whatever, they're, like, at the atomic level. They've been pulverized. So they're, like, magic still exists in the world to hold everything together, but it's at an atom. It's, like, powder. Infinity Stone dust is sort of mm. run- running the universe at this point. So what does it mean that Wanda can create this Mind Stone, this faux Mind Stone or, or whatever, Mind Stone knockoff that sits inside Vision's forehead that she does when she creates him at the end of this episode? Yeah, I think it means that's powerful stuff. <laughs> it's heavy uh, to steal a line from uh, Back to the Future. That's heavy. You know, I think... Um, is she create? Is it like a simulated diamond? You know what I mean. Is it like cubic zirconia? zirconium? <laughs> yeah, um, or is it like a real mind stone? Like I don't, I don't know. It can't be the real one. Like you just make multiple mind stones. Can she just keep churning out mind stones uh, on infinitum? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, my interpretation of it as a viewer was that she had just created vision independent of the mind stone. You know, maybe he has the ornamentation, but like. Does it have to be? Does the mechanism have to be the same? I think you because know? the power, the the light and energy that came off of her as she was forming him was that like same yellow, goldy glow. And yeah. since we know that she's just so like powered up by Infinity Stone juice in general, I think mm-hmm. we and and that's sort of what Sword is tapping into as they power up uh, White Vision. I think we are meant to think that this is some sort of like essence of mindstone. Well my question is like does what she what she does here is that is she doing what sort of the ancient one was talking about, which is like plucking a mindstone out of time, out of space, out of where it's supposed to be? And if so, is that is that what causes a rift in the multiverse? You know? Is that what enables Agatha to pluck uh, Peter out of the Fox universe and put him here. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it... So my problem with this is it starts to get really scrambled. It is kind of like time travel. Like, anytime you introduce time travel to a story, it's like, why don't you just keep going back in time until you get it exactly right? Like, <laughs> Fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's why you always have to disable the time machine, right? So... <laughs> uh-huh. um, in a way, they need to, like... They kind of got to get away from the Infinity Stones because otherwise, like, oh, why don't you just use them to rewind time, right? Like, uh, why don't you use them just to create a different reality? Why don't you just use them for this? Like, they're the get-out-of-jail-free card and you just can't have too many of those. So um, I do think she is going to end up opening doors that she probably shouldn't, opening doors that are going to bring a lot of weird and different things to the MCU. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Evan Peters. 
Uh, and yet, I think they can't go too far afield with that. The more complicated it gets, the more confusing it gets. And so... I think that's sort of uh, my suspicion is that sort of what the multiverse of madness is, is like, it, is it getting a little too confusing and Stephen Strange having to put like a cork back in the bottle? You know yeah, what I mean? I think that's very likely going yeah. to be, it, you know, um, but in the process, I think it'll just start to get confusing because the whole theory of like, we can go back in time and you can steal these infinity stones from time, but then you have to replace them basically at the exact moment you took them just to to smooth over the wrinkles that you've created. And if you don't, then there's an alternate time branch. I think there are going to be a couple of those alternate time branches. They won't have replaced it at exactly the same time. Obviously, Loki made off. And I also think we're underestimating the importance of the Loki season. Totally, totally. I you agree. know, because yeah. he's dealing with an entirely different reality, too. And, like, so how is that going to merge back in uh, to the sort of, like let's say MCU prime. Yeah. Right. So he's off in Loki land and like, they're gonna, maybe that just continues to run parallel to MCU prime. But I think the impulse is going to be to continue trying to weave those back together. Excellent. And, and that means again, I think they have to get rid of the infinity stones. I thought that's what they did at the end of Endgame. They were like, the infinity stones are done because it's just like too much. And so they, they, they said that they're like, the infinity stones are done, but here we have Wanda. I mean, as you say, it might just be cubic, cubic zirconium, uh, edition of the mind stone, but like we're once again, tinkering with infinity stone powers. Uh, you know, so I, I also thought we were done. I don't want to be back here because I feel like it, it, this is a, Infinity Stones present a barrier of entry to people who want to enjoy Marvel. That's been my experience before that they get they like their eyes tend to glaze over once you start talking about Infinity Stones. So um, that's why I want to save it to the end here. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you say before this one last thing that I want to talk about? No, I think we're good. I think we covered it. Okay. Um, so well, unless anybody wants some more Cicada talk, I'm always <laughs> done. <laughs> Uh, Cicada cast. Uh, so here's our last um, thing we're going to talk about. And, and please do feel free to jump. I'm not sure I consider this a spoiler because I'm not even sure it's going to happen. But I just think it's interesting. Um, so David Langle, the actor David Langle, who plays uh, Phil Jones, uh, whose real name is Harold Proctor. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, posted a, uh, a thing on Twitter at Dave Langle of him in old age makeup. So he's got the film mustache. Um, we saw Phil in this episode hanging up a flyer for piano lessons. I believe it was. He's got the film mustache, but uh, he's otherwise in extremely old age makeup. And by extremely old, I would say like what? Seventies, eighties, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, um, so what does this mean? Uh, this could be a completely different project because I, I just don't, I mean, he posted this so long ago, like February 15th. I just can't, if this were integral to the plot, I can't believe that Marvel would let him keep this up this long. Uh, so maybe it's just something else that this actor's doing. Howevs, cause he's also on some other things like Bosch. Howevs, uh, if it is a WandaVision thing, let's, let's, let's think this through. Um, what does he have the Luigi, uh, Mustache and yep. Bosch. Oh, and Bosch. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I don't know if that's his normal uh, uh, lip adornment, but um, if Phil and perhaps some other residents of Westview uh, start looking a lot older, uh, is someone or something draining them of their life force? Is it Agatha, who we've seen as like a magic eater type of draining force? Is it just existing in the hex? Um, is it something else? Do you have any thoughts or feelings about this, Anthony? Well, when we first looked at it, I kind of thought, well, is there going to be like a like a cap type storyline here where maybe she's just like doubles down and I'm going to live in this hex and we're going to live everybody's going to live to live a long life. And then there's some sort of rewind perhaps that happens because as you've pointed out, she's in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and I think they're going to continue to use Wanda and other stories going forward. But like is she going to just say, I'll do that, but like give me a life here? And let me just sort of live it out, and then I'll backtrack. You know, I'll catch you, I'll catch you back in the in whatever year we are in, in the MCU. But like, yeah, that seems a little. That's I. I always try to temper my theories by thinking, how complicated does Marvel want to get with this? Um, I think this show will give us gives us fantasy sequences and gives us. Uh, alternate versions of how things can play out and like maybe there's a me- maybe it's like draining see but Agatha seems to feed off of magic she doesn't just seem to feed off of life force you know and when she takes it they turn into sort of desiccated mummies rather than old people so I don't I don't is it okay to say I don't think that of she course. turns him old. Of course yeah, it is. Of course it is. I don't, um, I don't think she turns I, him old, but I think they oh, they age somehow. Like something happens where, you know, like they get a reunion episode or something. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Here's here's my thinking. Someone, someone or something is putting. Uh, you know, there was all that talk in the '90s episode uh, when when Agnes is puppeteering Pietro and he's grilling Wanda. And he's like, no, you did a pretty good job. Like, you you know, you, you kept couples together. You let the kids sleep when they're not on stage. Like, you know, everyone seems to have, like, a slightly better life. You made what – and we certainly see that she improved Westview, which was a very, like, dilapidated town, right? Like, you know – it's a victimless crime sort of thing. And Wanda's like, really? You think I did okay? Like, cause Wanda, it doesn't, you know, you don't get the sense that Wanda wants to like hurt the residents here. She just mm-hmm. wants to have her fantasy and, and like, Hey, and you guys get a better life too. So it's a win win. Right. So I think that Wanda is the type of uh, good witch, right. Where she will want to have her hex fantasy until she sees an actual cost to these innocent people that are caught you know caught up in this bubble with her right and um so uh if if she she doesn't want to cause harm to people so i think yeah if the members if the if the if the residents of westview start aging because let's say being in the hex is a strain on them let's just say that uh if if you you don't want to buy it's agatha that's fine here's my last like big big swing idea (laughs) This is this is a rumor. It's I have no foundation for it. There's a rumor that before all is said and done in next week's episode, we're going to get one more you know the sequences from the X-Men movies where Quicksilver like saves everyone. Yeah, those are great. While one song plays. 
what if he just like whooshes everyone out of the hex uh while some dream theme song plays Hmm. Uh, That'd be cool. To save them? I'm down for that. I like those sequences. Do you think he's the better Quicksilver? I don't think it's really fair. You mean like enjoyable performance wise? Yeah. Like the way they, so the way they did Quicksilver in Ultron, you know, he was fast. (laughs) And like, (laughs) he moved fast. Uh, And I feel like the the Quicksilver that they put in the X-Men movies, he moves slow. Right, that they have him. Everybody else is frozen, essentially, and he runs around and sort of like lives in this frozen moment in time. He's so fat. We see him at his speed. Yeah, and his speed is like is so quick that it can't even be fathomed. And he's moving, but just because kind of he's not rushing, you know. And I love. I actually love those sequences. I think they're really fun. No, I love the them sets- too. And th- that's why I'm like. That's why I'm tempted to buy this notion that we will get one in the finale because here's what who here's who I think Kevin Feige is. I think Kevin Feige is a, is a guy who is like really content with having an extremely successful franchise with all the toys that he had in his toy chest, but he wanted all the toys and he got Spider Man and he's gotten the X Men and he's gonna use them not in like a not in a he wouldn't be happy if he didn't get them he's just sort of like but I want them right and I think I could do a good job with them and I think that's borne out in the Tom Holland Spider Man right mm-hmm. and so I think he's looked at the toys that in large part were wasted in the Fox X Men franchise which had inc- increasingly diminishing returns and was yes. like I I see which toys in that box I want to play with. And I bet you everything I own that if I'm Kevin Feige and I'm watching those movies, doing a Quicksilver uh, pop music moment is high on my list. Those are just fun. Yeah. Those are moments in those movies he knows what that works. actually yeah. work. You know what I mean? And so he's like, I want to do one of those. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think. I think, I think we're going to get one. I think that's why uh, a reason why Evan Peters is here, among other reasons. And... um so that's that's the swing I'm taking. Al Pacino, I don't know, but uh, Evan Peters saving uh, the you know uh, drained <laughs> residents of Westview. I, I'd like to see it. So there you go. All right, any other last wild uh, theories or ideas you want to throw out there before we uh, until we don't speak again until this is all wrapped up. Yeah, I mean, I guess like the real question here is Monica Rambeau, right? We didn't see mm. her mm-hmm. uh, last. We saw was in the post credit or mid credit sequence last week, where uh, Quicksilver catches her looking into the uh, into the basement of Agatha's place. We didn't see her at all this episode. And then you and I were discussing before the pod, like about how we have uh, uh, a question about whether she is Spectrum or Photon. Yeah, whether you know she has had the mantle of both heroes in the the Marvel comics. So which one will she develop here? We clearly saw her uh, in her third journey through the hex become superpowered. We saw an origin story there. So uh, when she emerged, she saw these weird spectrums from coming from everything. So I was kind of leaning towards spectrum, but of course she could be photon. The powers are slightly different, but she. I think we're going to see a lot more of her, uh, hopefully in this final episode. She's the hero, right? She's the avatar for the audience that's guiding us through this. And, she, uh, you know, 
since Wanda is sort of mesmerized throughout a lot of this show, even though she's the main character, uh, like Monica's like the, uh, what is it? The catalyst, right? That, that sort of, uh, will snap her out of it. I think we're going to see those two team up and that's why I think we're going to have two of them and it's not going to be two of them versus Agatha. I think it's going to be the two of them versus Agatha and Dottie. Okay. Conversely, Mm -hmm. I think it, Oh, interesting. I was thinking it would be Dottie coming to help Wanda versus Agatha. Mm. Uh, Because we don't know if if Dottie's a good witch or a bad witch, right? Uh, And uh, while Vision is Hmm. fighting Vision. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I kind of thought she'd be aligned with the witchy powers, like part of a, a new coven, but like... Yeah. All right. Yeah, she's not a, necessarily an evil character in the in the comics. So, I think she might be like uh, our eleventh hour. I mean, people think Stephen Strange might also be our eleventh hour help. But I think like when things look dire for Wanda, Dottie swooping in might be something that could mm-hmm. happen. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I would like to see it. Emma Caulfield, we love you. We we will talk to you next week. Um, all right. Anything else uh, before we go? That covers it for me. We did it. Cicada talk and all. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, Anthony, until until we're back for the finale, where can folks find you? People can find me on Cicada.com. <laughs> I have a blog there writing about all the latest. <laughs> and at VanityFair.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can find Richard on Twitter at Rylaws. And we will be back next week with the lovely Emma Caulfield and all of our WandaVision thoughts and feelings. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Each story from our guests and listeners is totally unique and utterly personal. We love hearing about your first impressions when visiting someplace new. My first trip to the Patagonia region was on the Argentine side. I couldn't believe the expansive territory. It's like being in Tibet. The emptiness and the harshness really, I found transformative. Or a story told when safely back on dry land. You know, things happened every single day. I ran out of gas on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. And I was like, what if a sea creature comes to eat me? But then I'm delusional. I was like, I'll make friends with it and it won't eat me. And maybe I'll ride that back to shore. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Join me, Lale Arakoglu, every week for more adventures on women who travel, wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>